cannot ignore the hurt abhorred our neighbors down the street. We need your power to repair our brokenness. So when I uh, first graduated from college, I I moved, as many people do, to Uptown, uh, and my best friend and roommate worked in downtown Minneapolis in finance. She kind of held sort of banker-slash-stock market hours, and as a veterinary technician, I worked at an emergency veterinary clinic on nights and weekends. So needless to say, our schedules lined up never, like never. And so I often found myself, in order to see my best friend and to spend any time with her, driving downtown to meet her for lunch or coffee. And sometimes she brought along some of her finance friends. Now, hanging out with finance people was always interesting for me. They, it felt like another world and a different language. They talked about econ, uh, economics and the stock market and had their own language of sorts that I totally didn't understand. But one of the things I loved best was that they had a tendency to distill everything down to a bottom line. It was like their job language leaked over into their daily life. We'd be talking about any number of topics, and they'd be like, okay, but the bottom line here is, and then they would give whatever we were talking about. So once I started working in a church, the lunches continued on my day off, and the conversations changed just a little bit. We even started a Bible study, and somehow I became the church expert because of my church job. But they still wanted just one thing. Nat, they'd say, just give me the bottom line. Just give me the bottom line about this Jesus guy. They wanted to take the whole Bible, which they mostly didn't have a ton of time to read, and narrow it down to something simple and understandable. Now, before we judge, I think most of us, kind of want this same thing, right? This is why we have Bible studies, why we come to church, why we do Ask the Pastor Sundays. We also want to distill the Bible down into smaller, understandable, applicable parts. There's a lot of Bible, right? It's kind of a big, overwhelming book. So we are in good company in today's gospel. They want to know, just give us the bottom line. Jesus, what part of this whole book is the most important? Today we actually get an answer. And we get a quick reminder that while reading scripture, while trying to understand our faith or our tradition or theology, sometimes we need to be reminded of the basics. We need sometimes just the bottom line. Jesus still talking to the Pharisees in today's gospel. We've been talking to them over and over again. We've been witness to these conversations for six, seven weeks now. And they're still trying to trick him. They're still trying to catch him in some sort of lie or Pharisee or heresy that they can catch him in and arrest him for. Right? They've had a series of failures of this. So they decide to try again, but this time they bring in a lawyer, the best arguers out there. And this Pharisee, who is also a lawyer, says, all right, Jesus, which commandment is the greatest? Now, they think this is it. This is the gotcha question, a question without a good answer, because as a leader of the church and of church law, this guy knows that there are six 
113 laws to follow, and there is no way you can just pick one. Even Moses, Moses gave them 10. So this is the one that's going to get them for sure. And Jesus responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. It's such a great, a great moment because we need to take a second here and appreciate how definitively Jesus actually answers this question. By this point in Matthew's gospel, we are used to him answering questions with questions or responding in a parable or giving a paradox or switching the subject completely to an unrelated topic. But he answers this question so simply. Love God. And then because this is still Jesus, he doesn't stop there, right? He goes on saying, the second is like it. Now, notice these guys did not ask for the second most important commandment. I'm not even sure they really cared about the first most important commandment all that much. But Jesus continues on anyway, just to make himself clear. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the whole of the Bible at that moment, are summed up in those two things. He gives the bottom line. Love God, love neighbor. If you have ever wanted to distill the entire Bible down into one or two things, today's gospel is for you. Now we hear this, love God, love neighbor, and most of us, Follow it up with one question. Who is my neighbor? We like to kind of try to find the loophole in this, right? Like maybe Jesus meant my actual neighbor, like the person who literally lives next door to me, which for some of us is kind of easy because we have really lovely neighbors, but still, you know, for others of us, not as easy to do. But still, it's only what, like two families total that you have to work on loving. So that's not that bad, right? But Jesus didn't say the people who literally live next door to you. He used a word that translates to neighbor, which is a good translation, but the word more generally means anyone who isn't you. It means other. So we are called to love God and also love anyone who isn't us. So when we wonder whether or not someone is worthy of our love, when we wonder if they are the neighbor that Jesus is talking about, you only have to ask yourself one question when you're looking at that person. Is that me? If no, then yes, you're supposed to love them. Today is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I know, brand new information. And if you've been hearing about this for a while, or if you've just showed up today and saw some people wearing red and wondered what the heck is going on, we can all agree on this one question about today, which is why does it matter? Why does this day matter? Why do we gather each year on the last Sunday in October and remember this weird moment of Luther pounding some feces into a door? Right? Why do we remember that? It's weird. What's the big deal? Now, some of you in small groups this fall have been getting a pretty healthy dose of Reformation theology. And if you joined us last Wednesday for our Reformation movie night, you got it as well. 
But the quick version is that Luther kind of brought us back to the basics. He gave us a new bottom line. See, we too, as Lutherans, as Protestants, need to remember to come back to the basics as well. We need to be reminded of this. And every year on this day, we get that reminder. Now, 500 years ago, Luther looked at the church, the Catholic church, of which he was a part, and he saw some things he didn't understand. He saw corruption and hypocrisy and wrongdoing by the church, and it made him so angry, and he pushed against it. But he also had some issues of his own with faith. And maybe most importantly for us gathered here today, this is where the change he created matters most. He was exhausted. His faith made him so tired. He had been taught that the way to salvation was to work so that your good deeds outweigh your bad, and if they didn't, which they rarely did, let's be real, they rarely still do, then you'd have a set of things to do to sort of tip the scales in your favor. You pray, you give, you serve. And the reasons that you did those things, praying and giving and serving, was to earn a little bit more in your good deeds column to earn a little bit more towards your own salvation. Now, if we're honest, most of us could acknowledge here that we, too, believe some version of this. Right? No matter how much you hear differently from the pulpit, you sometimes fall back to this belief that, you know, just being a good person is enough. That Jesus coming and dying was good and all, but I still have to make my life worth it. Somehow, So the more that I give or I serve or come to church or read my Bible or pray moves me up the line just a little bit in God's eyes. It makes my salvation just a little bit more secure than somebody who doesn't do all those things. Even when we know, I mean, we know that this is not the way of things. We still believe this sometimes, maybe most of the time. And so I think we can relate to Luther here. Isn't it exhausting to wonder if you're enough? To wonder if you're doing enough? If you're worthy of what God has given you? Luther was distraught by this realization that nothing he did would ever be enough that he had no guarantee that at the end of his life all his prayer and study and sacrifice would be good enough. He had no idea, and it drove him crazy. So he opened up his Bible, and he began to read Paul's letter to the Romans. And he discovered grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Grace that needs no help. Grace that needs no assistance from myself or from anyone else. No works. Just grace for everyone. In what for Luther might be the most important verses in all of Scripture, Romans chapter 3, which Aidan read so nicely for us today, says, Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through Jesus Christ. 
For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. So Luther's saying, you know, the law tells us we have to do all these things, and that is not what makes us right with God. God makes us right with God. What freedom this is. This grace that frees us from having to work so hard. The freedom from trying to prove that we are worthy of what's been given to us. We are worthy because God says we are worthy. So then we might ask, why do anything? As again, you've probably heard from this very pulpit, from both me and Pastor Chad, this kind of grace, this kind of overwhelming, undeserved love given to us actually costs us something because it changes us. It changes our focus from looking internally, being worried about if we're okay, instead to being not worried about that because we're told we're okay, and instead being able to send us outward in focus and action. In my small group this last week, one of the members said, it's like a stirring in your heart. It kind of makes you feel like you have to do something. And we were like, yeah, that's it. That's what it is. So we're sent out, that stirring inside of us when we hear that we are loved and worthy and we no longer have to do this stuff in order to make ourselves earn it, sends us outward. To do what? Love God. Love others. The bottom line. The bottom line on this day is you are loved. You are so loved. There is no need to work for yourself because God has already done it for you. God already loves you just as you are right now, in this moment, no matter how you feel about how you're doing, God loves you right now, right as you are. You are forgiven, and you are worthy, and you are enough. You are saved by the grace of God. Let that sink in for you, as it did for Luther. We sang it in that song, I have been changed. I have been changed. This is what that stirring does. It changed Luther, it changes each of us, and then we are propelled out into the world to love God and love others. This is our call. This is who we are. Not because God requires of it of us in order that we might be worthy, so that we, but instead so that we can join with God at work in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I think our world right now could use just a little bit more love in it. We asked this question in again in my small group this week. What might the world look like if we all loved each other the way God loves us? Without reservation and as we are right now. 
Does that blow your mind a little? Because that blows my mind a lot, actually. Give me somebody suffering who needs my care and comfort, and I am all in. For sure, God, send me there. I got this. But ask me to sit with someone on the opposite side of the political spectrum, and I find love in that moment just a little bit harder. That kind of love that stirs something in you, that changes you, that is the kind that changed Luther. That kind of love God gives us each and every day. And that kind of love shared with someone else in this world, someone who is not you, changes everything. So I challenge you today to reflect on that very question, that question of faith and of love. What might the world look like if we all loved each other the way God loves us? Love God and love people. Full stop. <laughs> loving God and loving people. <laughs> I know, it seems so simple, right? Faithfulness is choosing to daily Again, it's that idea of continual salvation, right? It's the daily, sometimes minute by minute in those hard days, to choose the way of Jesus, to choose to love in spite of not wanting to, to choose hope in spite of darkness, to love God and everything that he's done and everything that he is doing in the midst of his people and in the midst of our world. And faithfulness is first acknowledging it. Again, having our eyes open. I think we just have to have our eyes open. And so faithfulness is having our eyes open and secondly, responding accordingly. That's what loving God and loving people really looks like. It's having our eyes open to what God is doing, understanding it, and living it out. And if we understand what God is doing here on earth, and it's a beautiful thing, it's a miraculous thing, it's a transformational thing, then if we, if we truly understand that, if we have a good grasp of that, we have no choice but to love people. It should be a natural outpouring of understanding God's goodness. Um, and that's what being faithful is. So... Yeah, it's being faithful is just the love of Jesus and putting one foot. We have been called to be some and light. We have been called to shine in the night. We have been
forget that you are with us, not forget you'll never leave us, even in the storms of life.